So two weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 2, we talked about how if we want more of Jesus, we must embrace costly unity among us. The Apostle Paul unpacked the dynamic of Jew and Gentile, two of the groups that uh, uh, were commonly viewed in culture in his day as being very divided and hostile to one another, but that in the gospel, both were brought together in the person of Jesus. And if we want to know Jesus more, we as his body that are diverse and different from one another need to realize that he brings us into relationship and belonging with people that we would have nothing to do with if it were up to us. And so we have to embrace this kind of costly unity, this kind of love for others that looks away from ourselves and our preferences to their needs and desires and to see the glory of God in them. Last week, Brian Elif showed us from uh, chapter 2, verses 17 through 22, that we are united in peace to one another horizontally because we're united together with God vertically through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that hostility in Jesus is gone. And that all of our life is the working out of the peace of God. And here's the truth today that Ephesians introduces to us. With all those people that we have peace with, with the church that's diverse and beautiful, that challenges us sometimes, God begins to do work in us that makes it possible for unity. What he does is that as we follow Jesus in the way of heaven on earth, he teaches us to suffer for others. As we follow Jesus in the way of heaven on earth, if it's really Jesus we're following, he teaches us to suffer for others. We all turn to follow Jesus and we bring with us in that first moment our earthly priorities, success, security, pleasure, power, all those things that this world just ingrains within us. And so it makes sense that we live that way before our eyes were opened to the new reality that we were made for God and that He's here now with us by the Spirit in Jesus. But self-centeredness is something that Jesus is kind to confront and bring healing to within you and me. Because self-centeredness that is having ourselves as the central locus of meaning for not only our self-understanding, but our living, disrupts what we were made for. Because we were made by a God who exists in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our triune God, who exists at His very core as one who is full of self-giving love. So the cross wasn't God saying, well, here's my last shot at saving all of you. And if this doesn't work, I don't know what will. The cross was in the very heart of God from the beginning. When he sees the brokenness, when he sees the darkness, the evil, the separation, the hurting, the pain, what results in our world when God enters in is a crucified Savior in love for us. It's the kind of person he is, not some activity he decided to do. You track with me? So you prick God 
if he had a body, well, maybe Jesus one day, and love pours out. It's not something he has to muster himself up for as if he's busy with some other stuff that he would rather be doing. And that's who he wants to make you and me and us collectively into a people of self-giving love. But love in a world like ours always leads to suffering. So we need to become the kind of people by the power of the Holy Spirit, the glory of the gospel, and the truth of who Jesus is, who can actually follow this path of Jesus Christ here on earth with a willingness to suffer for others. I mean, it's just right here on the surface of what we read today, right? Paul's saying, I'm a prisoner on behalf of all of you. And so I'm well aware that oftentimes we feel like we don't even have the emotional substructure and energy, especially after the last three, two and a half, three years, to not only like live well ourselves with the Lord, but to give ourselves in love for others in a way that exposes us to suffering. And so I don't, we don't walk into this with some glorified sense of idealism. We're, we're like limping our way to the finish line in this season. And the Holy Spirit knows that. And Jesus knows that. And so I think about uh, Matthew, I believe it's Matthew 11, where Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the Jesus we come to. And though he might lead us in a way that from the outset looks intimidating, he's one who meets us with understanding and mercy. Okay? So I want us to have that trust that Jesus is one that we can trust to lead us in a way of service to others, knowing where we are now. Can we do that? We do that? Yeah? Yeah? Head nods? All right. So let's dive in. First part, Jesus will teach us to suffer with God. Jesus will teach us to suffer with God. In verses 1 through 3, Paul starts this chapter by saying, uh, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. We got asked the question, What's he talking about? He, uses, he says, for this reason. Well, the reason is the verse before in chapter 2. If you're new to the scriptures, chapters and verse numbers weren't there. It was just like a letter like you'd write to somebody. Um, and yet, we have these handy numbers to help us understand what is being referenced. But in the previous chapter, verse 22, Paul says, in him, that is in Jesus, you also, Jew and Gentile together, are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Paul says, in Jesus, the work that he's doing in the world is to unite divided people in himself and reconciling them to God and bringing heaven to earth. The kingdom of God is ruling and reigning on earth and it's, it's spreading and peace, shalom, is going forward. Because that's happening... I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of all of you, Gentiles. Because God's working in the world, I'm a prisoner for your sake. But we, we can't just read past this. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. 
I'm not a prisoner of the Roman government. I'm not a prisoner uh, sitting here as though Caesar has stifled God's plans. Like that might be what we would anticipate him saying. But he doesn't say that. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. Put simply, Paul knew, knew that Jesus was using his imprisonment for the glory of God and the good of others. When you follow Jesus, here's what you got to know. Everything that happens in your life can be used by him. Even when, when your own folly or sin got you into the very circumstances that you're in. Jesus is a redeemer. He's a professional at turning bad stuff into good stuff. But it doesn't stop there. He doesn't just kind of make up for our failings. When the world around us opposes us, he too uses that. And for Paul, he holds himself up to say, guys, I'm a prisoner for you of Christ Jesus. What he's not doing, what you can't hear him saying is, you guys better listen to me because I'm suffering for you. and Don't waste my suffering for you. He's not trying to like brag, okay? He's not like throwing down street cred to say, look at everything that I've been through. You can trust me. This is how much I believe in this stuff. He's actually putting forward that the way that Jesus went to the cross and conquered all the evil and darkness and sin in the world, this pattern of choosing to lay down your life in order to defeat darkness is the same pattern that he's led Paul in. And it's the same pattern that he wants to lead all of his followers in. It's upside down in the way of the world. And someone just smiled at me and accused me that we're literally sitting in upside down. I swear to you it had nothing to do with that. Um, yeah, the coffee shop's called upside down. Um, but the way that the world wants to call us and, and coax us into operating is that power and prestige and success is the way to influence in the world, is the way to a fulfilled life in the world. I mean, every time you fill out an application for anything, right, you're like, you're tempted and drawn into this world system and structure that's trying to say, boast, prove yourself. There's like some dynamics of like, okay, are you fit for this thing that you're stepping into? Sure. But the narrative that starts going on is, I need to be this in order to make it and be a, a thriving human being when the pattern of the cross is, is that of taking on the burdens of others. There's no way you can make sense of the New Testament and its exhortations without understanding that this is who God wants to make us to be. One who, as we draw near to Jesus, knows that in any suffering he leads us into, it's with him. We follow a Jesus who was, who was crucified, who died. And he calls us not just to be willing to suffer. Here's where I think we have a disconnect. I think many of us would say, sure, I would be open to the possibility of suffering for Jesus, but if my life looks like a whole lot of success, I ain't going to complain either. 
and let's be honest, we're surrounded by one of the richest places on the planet. You guys do realize this, right? Bel Air, other side of Sunset, Beverly Hills, not too far, Santa Monica, Century City, Brentwood. <laughs> like, we got to just own the fact that we are swimming in a culture and a context that's going to draw our hearts after it if we're not really, really intentional to hear Jesus in the midst of it. And so I think, I think he calls us to more than being open to suffering. The mere idea that if it came to my doorstep, I would suffer. Because when Jesus calls us to care for the poor, what does that require? It, it requires time and giving of our resources and relationship and losing bits of ourselves and losing opportunities that we RSVP maybe to everything for so that we could keep them all open. But simple faithfulness is taking on limitations in ourselves and giving ourselves away, right? So suffering, little s suffering, not big s suffering, imprisonment for the sake of Jesus, but little s suffering, that is the giving of ourselves on a daily basis, is a normal call of Jesus. And so a simple openness to suffer is not all that Jesus has for us. He wants to invite us to see with eyes and lenses of love that are willing to sacrifice for the needs around us. And we know that he's with us in it. He is with us in it. Paul was in prison with Jesus. When you walk out and build a relationship with someone in need, or you go to your neighbor who uh, is, is just suffering and struggling to even make rent, and you build a relationship with them, and you give a financial uh, aid to them, you're with Jesus in it. You're not alone. And Paul gives us a cue as to how that's possible when he says that he, is a, he has a stewardship of grace that was entrusted to him. Grace is this often misunderstood category when we read the New Testament where we assume it means simply forgiveness, unmerited forgiveness. Many of you are going to glaze over because I've said this so many times over the last year and a half or so, but grace is not simply forgiveness. It certainly includes forgiveness, but grace is the very means, the power that enables us to take on suffering and self-giving love for other people. It's what Jesus sweeps us into. Grace is the presence of God with us doing in and for us what we can't do for ourselves. And so when Paul says, hey, you guys all know what's been entrusted to me, he had a very unique ministry going out proclaiming this new news to them that Gentiles too, non-Jews, were invited into the people of God, all right? We're not talking necessarily about that kind of entrusting of grace, but you, by virtue of being made in the image of God, placed in a broken, fallen world in need of sacrificial, other-oriented love, you have been entrusted with grace. As you take on the heart of Jesus, 
that is open-handed and other-oriented, He will start to teach you what His grace through you in your particularities, in your particular passions and giftings, looks like right where you are. The Scriptures show us that God is not the kind of person who advances heaven on earth by showing up and throwing his weight around, but that he's the kind of person who involves other people and shows off his might by using us in our weakness. And grace is what he uses to use his weak people to show off in power. I think there's a misconception. I alluded to it a little bit already. But there's a misconception that if you just come to Jesus, center your life on him, um, suffering will stay far from you if you do it right. So if I, if I really am uh, pleasing God, if I'm living the life that he wants for me, then I'll suffer less and less and less in my life. It's a pseudo version of what's called the prosperity gospel where you come to God and you get a life of prosperity in a variety of ways. But here's the thing. As you grow in Jesus, as you continue to tune yourself to the leading of his spirit on a daily basis, what you will find is not less suffering in your life, but actually that the love of Jesus keeps you in suffering longer than you would for any other circumstances. Um, my wife and I were a part of a church up in Seattle called Mars Hill, and I met Jesus there, felt a calling to ministry there, served there, um, ended up going on staff there, and it was an incredibly unhealthy church. Um, someone actually once called it the most unhealthy, abusive church culture I have ever seen. And it was their job to enter into toxic church environments, okay? Uh, an article was written that called Mars Hill the Enron of Churches. So, and that was in Harvard Business Review, reputable publication. Really, really bad unhealthy circumstances. Quite frankly, like you were used for what you could do for the church and you were expendable. It's basically the, the kind of culture of fear and power and, and uh, uh, measurable appearance on the externals and numbers that it was. And we wanted to leave. We started praying, Jesus, let us leave. And pretty quickly in that process of prayer, we discovered that Jesus didn't want us to leave. And the way that we came to that discernment in processing with some of our community was the fact that we were suffering and it opened us to the possibility of leaving. And yet when we looked around us and saw, um, at that point my job was primarily to lead the college ministry up there at the University of Washington, we found out that there was not going to be anyone that they would hire to replace us if we left. They were kind of on the downsizing trend. And so really what the decision was, was if we leave, there won't be anyone here to lead and serve and shepherd this college ministry. 
And as we prayed, holding it genuinely with open hands to say, I think that there can be a right decision to say, I trust the Lord with this ministry or this thing that I'm serving right now. We discerned, though, that was not for us, that we were supposed to stay. And so for the better part of two years, we stayed in an incredibly painful place. And what was probably the most painful dynamic was that the church beyond the leadership curtain thought everything was great. But behind, there was suffering. There was pain at the hands of, of God's people. And I can, I can tell you that the kindness of Jesus in the midst of pain, not avoiding pain, showed us that he is more capable of producing endurance and peace in the midst of misery than we would have ever known otherwise. Quite frankly, I don't even know if I would have made it as a pastor through the pandemic without having gone through that season. But Jesus is faithful. And sometimes, seeking to follow him and center your life on him, as he shapes you to love others, will lead you into places of suffering, into remaining in places of suffering, longer than you would at all by any earthly circumstances. And if that's you right now, you need to know that the Father sees that and smiles upon that. That He will uphold you, that He has the capacity to help you, that the Spirit is present with you, that Jesus is near to you. He is not far off. It is not a sign of God's displeasure with you. In fact, as you walk with Him through the season of suffering, you find, as one old pastor once said, that the sweetest wines of communion with God are contained in the cellar of suffering. So if we follow Jesus in the way of heaven and earth, he will teach us to suffer for others. First, he'll show us that he's with us in the midst of it. That costly love leads us into an other-oriented suffering. But secondly, Jesus will teach us that we must suffer with the church. That we must suffer for the church. Now this is where, this is where it gets a little wobbly for us. In our, in our day, I think we believe that the church exists primarily as a goods and services provider to help us in our walk with Jesus. Right, so I've had, I've had plenty of young people say, well, the church is supposed to, supposed to help me, it's supposed to disciple me so that I know Jesus more and can be faithful to him out in the world. Now, that, that's certainly an aspect of what the church is supposed to do. But there's a bigger thing going on here. The church is supposed to be a little embassy of the kingdom of God on earth, a little city on a hill in the midst of darkness where we who once were out in the darkness are staring into the light and are taking on the teachings of Jesus that we would learn to display the light in the midst of a dark world. Because it takes practice to internalize that kind of thing. 
And in the school of suffering as we follow Jesus, one of the first places that we learn to suffer is with and for the church. In Ephesians 3, 4 through 6, Paul says, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to sons of, sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery, the mystery of God, the mystery of Christ, is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So that's what we're a little embassy of. That, that Jesus is taking people from all over and reconciling them to himself. And Paul said, remember in verse 1, I'm, a, I'm a, a prisoner on behalf of you Gentiles. On behalf of you, church. Speaking to the Ephesian church, which is predominantly Gentiles. Now, we already said that Paul had a really special role in the kingdom but it's a special role that we look to and see that even in that role, Jesus doesn't abandon us. How much more in our role will Jesus be faithful to teach us and take us by the hand? Um, the church and participating in the church and serving and loving the church is not just for upper echelon, super spiritual Christians but it's the very family context where we learn to follow our big brother Jesus. Now, Jesus actually amplified the calling that we see played out as an example in Paul. Um, Jesus' fundamental calling, his main marketing scheme for the crowds in his day was this. In Luke 9, Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So Paul's not adding something on to the basic message of the kingdom of God. Jesus is, is on a mission to see image bearers of God who have been drawn into darkness and through fear and, and um, domination have believed that life is really found in a self-oriented life. And Jesus says, hey, what you thought was, was where life is found, set that aside and follow me. And take up your cross, which is just a willingness to suffer in love. This is core. And I know probably all of us have heard it if we've been around church for more than a year or two. But I just want to bring it back to the fore and say, is this something that daily we're striving to remind ourselves of? That we can't follow Jesus properly individually, if we have ourselves at the center of our life. And, and like big picture, I trust that, that none of us here really want ourselves at the center of our life. And that's kind of a frowned upon posture even in our culture, right? But then when you dive down into the particulars, 
into the practical decisions of life, it gets more complicated. Because although we might make one decision that's just because we want to, because there's joy in receiving gifts from our Father, if we continue to make decisions that are self-oriented, our actual structure of life belies the overall principle of following Jesus that we proclaim. So we need people who we can see with our eyes making those decisions to take up a cross and follow Jesus. And we need people who don't reject us when we walk out in our weakness and sin, but actually extend grace to us. And those who, when we hurt, don't return violence toward us. That's why Jesus laid down teachings that we would actually know what his kingdom is supposed to look like in practical ways. We need the church because we need to learn how to bear a cross. Really practically, if we are the body of Jesus, right, we've dived into that over the last several weeks. If we as the church are the body of Jesus with Christ as our head, the way that we individually treat the body is the way we treat Jesus. The way you treat the church is the way you treat Jesus. In Acts chapter 8, when the apostle, or it's not the apostle at this point, uh, when Saul, the persecutor of the church, is on his way to Damascus with legal paperwork to imprison followers of Jesus, Jesus shows up to him. It's a famous scene, paintings throughout the last 2,000 years have been made of this scene, but it says light flashed before Saul and, and his, his uh, posse. And he heard a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? He didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting Christians? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus so identifies with his people, with his body, that the way you treat the church is the way that you treat Jesus. It's why in Matthew 25, Jesus says at the judgment, he pictures it for us, and he says, the way that you treated the least of these, so you did to me. The very criteria for judgment at the end of time is not going to be whether you blasphemed me, making statements about how there is no God and all of that, but how you treated my people. So, there's our, there's our case to see the church is both needed to learn how to bear a cross and the context for learning this life of love. So, if the basic principle is how we love Jesus' body is how we love and serve Jesus, the simple low-hanging question is, how are we doing with that? 
And here's, here's what I want to put before everyone here. I know some of you are like brand new here and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. No pressure on anyone. We do not coax people into giving of themselves by compulsion. One of the beautiful things about Jesus is that he comes to us with a free offer and invitation. And that's what we want to do. But we want to, we want to display things rightly at the same time so that we would all have the proper context to use our freedom properly. Okay? Most of the time in the church, here is what it looks like in the day-to-day -day operations. 10% of the people do 90% of the labor. 10% of the people give 90% of the finances. 10% of the people do 90% of the praying. And when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see the simple glory of what you and I are invited into, that we're in the body of Jesus. That Jesus is uniquely here in Upside Down on Sunday mornings from 10 to 11.30 in a way that he is not in Upside Down the other days of the week. Now, there might be other gatherings of his people, and he's here there too, but you get what I'm saying. A normal coffee shop does not have the presence of Jesus in the same way that the gathered people of God as the body of Christ do. And so those 90% who aren't, aren't pulling with the rest are missing out on the joy of life in him. There is more joy to be found in Jesus by giving yourself away than by taking for yourself. Acts 20, Paul recounts, Jesus himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so if you are absolutely miserable this morning, and that liturgy that we read about discouragement was like ringing all your bells, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would help you to see in the midst of that struggle that he is still present with you. But I want to also pray that he would open your eyes to see that maybe you need to give yourself away in love. And that that might actually be the prescription that he's inviting you to see, that you would taste the wholeness of being a meaningful part of something bigger than yourself. Because I can assure you that stepping into a service for an hour and a half a week, or even an MC for two hours on every other week on a Tuesday, is not going to give you the grand sense of belonging that you need to follow Jesus in these ways. Okay? So, maybe today, you want to say, I want to be known by people. I want to know other people in this room. And rather than just sit shoulder to shoulder, I'm going to dive into a missional community. That's just what we call our table fellowship. We have dinner every other week. We pray together. We learn what it means to be the family of God. We talk about ways that God is using us in the city through foster ministry and other avenues. Maybe for you, it's, it's actually serving the body in tangible ways. we got all sorts of need for you to serve. And those of us, those of you who know the needs have a huge grin on your face because you're like, oh yes, there are needs all around us. Um, yeah. When, we, when we're up in the sky saying, Jesus, 
is real and present among his people, and the way that we serve and love his people is the way that we serve and love him in a very real practical sense. It feels weird to translate that into like, so join an MC or join a serve team, right? They feel like they're, they're so differing in glory and meaning, right? But here's where practically following Jesus just requires you to take a step. So that's my invitation today. Just take a step to learning to love Jesus with his people. And as you are disappointed by someone, say you're serving on a team and two of your four members on your team don't show up on a Sunday morning. It's like low-grade difficulty, discouragement, struggle. I'd hesitate to put the word suffering on it because we typically have like big pictures about what suffering really is. But guess what? When Jesus tells you, Forgive anyone against whom you have anything. Forgive your brother seven times 70. You le you're learning how to follow Jesus in that moment. Instead of, oh, am I going to wake up and go to church or am I going to sleep in through my alarm? Like that's not the biggest thing that God has for you. It's in the midst of relationships and in the community of God that we learn to put on the way of Jesus. And suffering will come. But that's the cost of love, and that's where we find life. Amen? And so, if you want to take any steps at all, you could scan that QR code on the back of a chair. You could find, I'm not wearing a lanyard right now. You could talk to anybody with a lanyard on, and they would love to connect you, figure out how to connect you into a, a community during the week, a serve team here. We got kids ministry upstairs. We got people here early creating a hospitable space and greeting people on Sundays. We have a foster ministry that's getting up off the ground and running. We got other ministries that are going on during the week. We would love to walk with you through what your particular wiring could look like among the household of God called the church. Good? I'm going to pray. Jesus, we bless you for your kindness and we ask for your help that you suffered for us. And the love that you invite us into is one that we cannot help but taste and begin to emulate. And so I pray for my friends. Lord, this season has been so hard. And we feel like our own lives are threatened in a, a very real, meaningful way by the pressures and the division and uh, the, the pandemic that is still going on. But would you help us to see your invitation um, to give ourselves away and actually find life in doing that? So I pray for my friends. Please help them. Help me continue to press in to hear your invitation to love you, your church, and our neighbors and our city well for your fame. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.